1: Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Shorty, bringing you the rest of my Times Radio show. You can listen to Politics at the Boring Bits from Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker or download the Times Radio app. Coming up today is Wednesday, so it must be PMQ's Unpacked. Rishi Sunak, and Keir Starmer go at it. Tim Shipman and I pulls the action from the Commons, and then Lara Spirit watches the best of the rest. It's the last one for four weeks before they go off to party covers, but we'll find some other things to unpack in the meantime, I'm sure. So that's coming up in just a moment. But first, well, it's Wednesday, so it must be these two. The Columnists with Ali Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. Ah, uh, we say very good morning to Alice Thompson. Alice, how are you? Morning. You've brought me another Toblerone. We have. What does well, that actually mean? You've been put, away.
2: Well, it was when I went away. I felt guilty. To, Did you again? Yeah. So I've got another one because last time it went missing. Do you remember?
1: I, I do. Well, that's very nice. <laughs> Great. Maybe we could get them to sponsor the show. Shall I open it now? <laughs> yeah. 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 Should might do that. Well. um well. We'll open it now and we'll talk about Ket. That seems the obvious, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the obvious thing to do <laughs> on a uh, on a Wednesday morning. Um, you've written your comments today about ketamine as the drug of choice amongst young people. I suspect it's a drug that lots of people who aren't young people are aware of its prevalence. I think,
2: actually, anyone over 25 doesn't know much about it, do yeah. they? The problem is mm. that it... It, we're talking about laughing gas because you can see it because you, you go to the park and you see the canisters yeah. and, you know, we think it's all about coke and heroin. We're terrified of that. But we don't talk about Kept because it is quite a modern drug. No, you know, children now are using it, but they weren't <laughs> using it 25 years ago and they are now using it for clubbing, but also because it calms them down, it relaxes <clears> them. <throat> if they're anxious, they're stressed, it's a, they, it's their jug, sort of drug of choice and it's incredibly cheap. It's £3 a go, so yeah, that, that sounds, is the yeah, problem.
3: That's a salient point, isn't it? mm
2: and easy to
3: get. Started life as a horse tranquilizer. Yeah. Uh, That's
1: what we always think of it
3: as. Yeah. yeah. And they use
2: the horse so, emoji when
3: they buy it. And do they? It I is a class B drug. So. I, I did know about it because my kids are that age. I mean, not that they take it or have taken it, but they're aware of uh, it being around, being offered it at festivals and so forth. Uh, they make fun of it, actually. They talk about people in the K-hole who are just, uh, just like, why would you do that? Because they're just sort of sitting there staring into space. I can't see how it... Why well, would it help you with clubbing? I mean, I can see why NDMA would help you with having a good well, time you, so in a, a club.
1: It either G's you up or it, not G's <laughs> you up, a horse punter. But, you know, jogs as a general rule, either. either uh, They're uppers or downers.
3: Uppers or downers. And it's yeah. a massive, and by the sound it's a downer, of it, it's a massive. Well, clearly, if it knocks out a horse, it's a downer. <laughs> so, why would you then go to a club? Yeah. Uh, because you
2: get quite out of it on it, and I think that's what they're using it for. So, okay. I mean, But it, it's a huge problem, really, because actually it can make you incontinent, and it has a real problem. Well, that's some... the thing that
1: you're you, right? This is not without side effects.
2: No, and the weirdest thing about it is that in tiny doses it can help with depression. So you yep. get these headlines about helping with depression, but in fact in any larger doses it's really bad for children's mental health, and we mm-hmm. don't yet know what the long-term consequences are, but it can make you even more sort of
3: anxious and paranoid. Yeah. Yeah. Elon Musk, in his normal, usual, responsible fashion, has said that he takes it. <laughs> uh, and it's better than SSRIs. Uh, which is simply not true, because one's illegal and the others aren't, and Elon yeah. Musk isn't a doctor. So. And the side
1: effects of it are, you know, when you're yeah. talking about ending up inconstant, yeah. you're only Pro- attracting uh, Prozac problems, doesn't, Prozac depression.
3: doesn't make you inconstant.
1: And then pot- potentially long-term memory loss, panic attack, psychosis. So yeah. what, what's the... Because politicians are always so funny about talking about drugs... They're either in the, we all need to, you know, chill out, guys, you know, we all had a mm-hmm. youth, versus, you know, we need to crack down on these things. And neither of them really speak to the people who are actually taking it.
2: Yeah, well, particularly ket, which is Class B, so you shouldn't be taking it, but the police do the same, that they're not taking it as seriously as they'd be taking, say, Coke or some of the right. other drugs. It, they, it seems to bypass them, and also you can't smell it, so it's not like when you're walking down the street you actually get hit by a sort of waft of it. And I think it's very much a university drug as well, though it's now become a cost of living drug because it's so cheap.
4: Uh, oh, yeah so that's a, yeah. another
2: issue, so that it, it's it's permeated now far further, yeah. and you've got that they put out alerts in Devon and in Suffolk as well as Yorkshire. So it's not just a city thing this, it's going all around the country.
1: Is that a quarter of sixteen to twenty four year olds said they tried it. Mm. I was quite, really surprised by that
2: well I can imagine you trying it once I can't see yeah. a lot of them taking up so only like about three or four percent take it regularly now yeah, I think yeah.
3: it's very widely available in festivals and
2: uh yeah loads of festivals So reading uh, that was mm. their biggest drug of choice really at reading
3: I guess it, if it really makes you incontinent then it will uh it will it will play itself out because people would rather yeah, and not hearing being, those whole <laughs> They would
1: rather no, not so you be were in talking in your about somebody had a stoma bag as a result of taking it.
2: So that, one of the hospitals said that that mm-hmm. had happened with they didn't understand that one man had come in and then they realised that he was a regular user and it had completely messed up his bladder. So it can do that, but that's in extreme cases. Yeah. But I think that's what children should be told. So I think they need to know, because it's quite... You can tell them it's illegal, you can tell them it's a class B drug, yeah. but you need to tell them what the consequences are. And I don't think they're going to like that consequence at all.
3: No. Same with, uh, you know, a very full-strength uh, skunk marijuana yeah uh which again was sort of you know it's so so different to... well politicians get that wrong because they think what's the harm in it i had a, I had a bit of a blast of that stuff 20 30 years yeah, ago yeah, and yeah. it's a completely re-engineered drug now and it's very serious because it caused permanent psychosis and brain damage
1: one of the things that really um surprised me uh over the summer when we went into ailing between five cities was every other city we went to you could just buy cannabis in shops yeah and you could you just smelt it everywhere and I thought, A, I hadn't really clocked that Europe had gone yep. so much further and all of that. And how, actually, the fact there is no debate about doing that here, in a way that, you know, that it's spreading across America, state by yep. state, it's clearly spreading across...
3: Even well, though it's, it's very you know, widely available. And in Amsterdam, yeah. they're
2: getting the other way now, because I can see it. Yes. The problem <laughs> is, it is like 10 o'clock in the morning, and if you're yeah. trying to get people back to work, that is quite problematic. I and mean, we've got enough of an issue here, can you imagine, if we had that as well? if you could pop in on the way to yeah. work...
1: But it's just interesting that it hasn't we haven't even had that debate mm. here about legalizing it in shops and all that of stuff whereas you go
3: you know there's Amsterdam and then I think, yeah. you know, Budapest Part, park you no, know it was it was no, we're still struggling to prescribe it medically where yeah. where, where it actually where, where there are where, benefits yes yeah, yeah, proved yeah. to be benefits with epilepsy and so forth yeah uh,
1: well let us move on and talk about some other things we could ban uh while we're <laughs> on the subject of banning things. Sixteen <laughs> London councils are calling for a ban on outdoor smoking. Mm. Which is looking at a policy to ban disposable vapes? Tony Blair wants to tax <laughs> junk food. Yeah, are we being are we are we turning into a nanny state? No,
3: I don't think so. Mm. I think this would it be.
1: I mean, would it be good if we did. Well, yeah, that, I exactly. Mean, that's he kind says, of what I meant to have say. Have just opened a Toblerone? Yeah,
3: I think uh, <laughs> I think this nanny state thing is a, is a. I think Blair says it himself. It's a it's a it's a minority concern. It's a preserve of a few uh, swivel-eyed libertarians in the Conservative Party, and they have been given far too much. Uh, Credence and credibility. It's a good phrase, I suppose. That's part of it. Uh, You know, nanny state. Not that most of us had nannies, and probably most of them did. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the ones who called it nanny state. No, the government's there to try and create the conditions for a better life Mm. for the population. So it should do that. And it's it's obvious. I mean, I smoke, but I think this is a pretty good idea in terms of creating uh, smoke-free... Pavements. I, I, I'll you know say if I need to be corralled into a smaller and smaller area, then that's the price you pay. I do think. I mean, smoking now amongst adults in Britain is down to about thirteen percent of the population. It's a battle that's almost, or it's almost won. Yeah, uh, you're left with a hardcore like me. I think the obesity issue is becoming a graver concern. Actually, because well, we're now looking at mm. two thirds of adults obese yeah, or overweight. Yeah. And that might be... Uh, so Blair's, Blair's tax thing is of a, is a more interest to me than... Uh...
2: I also think it's just harder now, isn't it? So, you know, if you take the food issue, you're being constantly pumped with food. Yeah. So it's really hard. You can't not eat. It's not like smoking where you can just, yeah. you know, try and give up. You're going to have to eat, but you're being given this very, very highly processed food. So I think actually helping people with that, it's not like Nanny said, it's just helping you to have some sort of control over your food, rather than being pushed by these big food companies. Mm. And I feel the same with cigarettes, you've been pushed, but you know, that took a long time, and now we've got with vaping. Mm. I mean, it's fine to vape, and in some cases the NHS want you to vape rather than yeah. smoke, but with the children, if you're using, you know, a hundred different flavours, <laughs> yeah. that is definitely targeted yeah. towards younger people. I mean, people.
3: vaping's gone, yeah, it started out as a tool to get people off cigarettes, it then it became something yeah. that... And also years there's elf
2: did. bars, are Really, I, was you know, yeah. I was with someone really yesterday afternoon
1: you. who was puffing away on a vape. Mm. And I said, well, you've never smoked. Well, how did this stu- no. How has this happened? And is yeah. it, it is now just a thing. Yeah. And it
2: is nicotine. So the, the problem is that people are waking up in the middle of the night. So, you know, you get children who've just got such a hit that they they need to wake up yeah. at three or four o'clock in the morning. So have you, have
3: you been tempted by the vaping? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, I uh, No, I haven't. I probably should. Be. I mean, I'm the sort of person who yeah. should be. But I haven't got round to it yet. I can't. I couldn't work them very well. about <laughs> uh, in terms of plugging them in and so forth. They didn't have but the right I, flavor for you. It wasn't about. You know, it really wasn't about that. It was just about ha- just pure habit and yeah. not and not wanting to uh, stop smoking enough. Uh, and, and, and is, is it, it? Do you feel like? Uh, a pariah now, being a smoker. Yeah, if I don't feel like a pariah's putting it oh, yeah, putting oh, no, it, it strongly. I feel exactly. like I'm in a very small minority because yeah, yeah, I yeah. am, especially in sort of middle class circles. Yeah. You're often pretty much the only person yeah. standing outside at a party or whatever. Uh, but I think that's fine. That's a, that's a sanction. That's a, you know, it's bad for yeah, you, yeah. and it's my I've made that choice. It's a it's a, it's a poor choice, but it's one that i
1: So if these towns do it to again yeah. and they ban smoking outside, would yeah. that make you? More likely to cut back on
3: smoking, yeah. or less likely to go to those places. Both, both, <laughs> both. I yeah. mean, uh, but then
2: would you just be smoking in your garden the whole
3: time? Not necessarily. No, I think any pressure you can bring to bear is either either financial or, or in terms of social uh, sanction is fine because it's 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 plainly bad for people. And
1: it's that it's that thing about creating friction, isn't it? It's yeah. That, yeah. It's the, it being behind the counter. It's the you know having to ask a special debt. Yeah. All that yeah. Sort yeah. Of stuff. Yeah, it's about having willpower as well. It's quite
2: hard to have willpower for everything. So that you're yeah. constantly being pushed this stuff. Advertisers are constantly trying to get you to do yeah. stuff. And it's just helping you slightly not have that
3: thrown yeah. at you. The whole yeah, thing. I mean, I've I've stopped drinking and I've lost weight. And then this is I need to address the smoking thing. And anything that would can sort of make it more difficult for me to smoke, I guess, is a good thing. Yeah. But I think the obesity thing is more is becoming more of a, an issue. Yeah.
1: But yeah, but I suppose it, how do you because you can't you can people could can live without smoking yeah but they can't yeah without yeah. yeah but then you what, tax yeah, it, it don't? So it the problem really is now that yeah.
2: that actually that they've tried the sugar tax and it has worked but they're mm-hmm. just refusing to carry on with it because the, the big companies don't want you to do it yeah. the yeah. food companies really don't want it and actually the supermarkets don't either
3: yeah and I think a lot of people in government hide behind the whole nanny state philosophy when yeah. actually what they're subject to is lobbying from Lobby, uh, really from, heavy from, lobbying yeah 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 uh, and. It's and dis- they had huge logging. Dis- um,
2: Coca-Cola was one of the main ones, wasn't yeah. it? That whereas actually Kentucky Fried Chicken did then cut down on its salt. Some yeah. of them are be- behave better than others, but actually they they're the ones that need to be pushed really.
3: And yeah, I repeat. I mean, politicians presumably go into politics to try and make life better for yeah. people. They don't have to tell people how to live, but they can create the conditions and so much in which people of our, can live
1: healthily. What broader problems, whether it's yeah. depression, fitness to work, pressure on the NHS, comes from the health of the nation. Yes. The public health should be a massive thing. Not yeah. a sort yeah. of, you know... Well, it's kind about
2: talk about nanny state if you've got a personal trainer or if you've got you know, I mean, you can afford to go to the gym. It's all these things. Yeah. If you can afford to do it, then it's a lot easier. If you yeah. can't afford to do it, it's probably better to help have some kind of structure so it's a ban or, you know, it yeah, makes it more yeah, expensive. Yeah. So it gives you a nudge in the right direction.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see if that... Um, see what happens before, before. I think just banning Robert Cramps would be better. <laughs> Me? Yeah. Why? I think a council should, should officially announce you're banned. Are <laughs> you hanging around outside... Oh, I see,
3: with a cigarette, yeah.
2: yeah. It takes okay. quite a long time to get outside.
3: It does from here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's the disincentive, yeah, especially the way these lifts work. <laughs> You'd be the lift here to get
1: down, yeah, yeah, yeah. to get outside, yeah. To yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Um, I want to ask you about uh, Luis Rubialis, who, I mean, clearly this story's been rolling on and on and on. The Spanish Football Federation's now former president uh, announcing at the weekend that he had resigned. But this is really interesting. In his interview, which was broadcast last night with Piers Morgan on Talk TV, he claimed... Cultural misunderstandings mm. were behind the throwaway over him kissing Spain's World uh, world Cup winner uh, Jenny Hermoso on the lips. So let's just take a listen to what you had to say.
5: I think Latin people, and it's a cultural question, have that tactile. Uh, it's pretty normal in a Latin world between guys and girls, guys and guys, girls and girls, and it's just normal to that level of excitement and happiness that we failed during that
4: final.
6: If the Spanish men's team had won the World Cup, would you have interacted with those men the same way? Would you have hugged and kissed them?
7: No doubt
5: about it. 100%. Well,
3: Well, Jenny Hermosa's Spanish. Yeah. She's just filed a criminal complaint against him. Yeah. So she doesn't agree with the cultural...
1: I mean, if he'd kissed uh, everyone... Like, the entire... If you just went around yeah. kissing everyone after the match, yeah, then maybe. the point Yeah, is but
2: holding your crotch <laughs> like that beforehand, well, was, that, cro- was that particularly... Cro- I mean, I don't know, but I, just, I also think he would not have <laughs> kissed on the lips the men. He just yeah, wouldn't yeah, have yeah. done it, would he? So if you're not going to do it for the men, don't do it for the women.
3: It was, it was just, non-consensual, that's the point. Yeah. Jenny did not... I like it. Yeah, as she's made plain for the last three weeks. Yeah, every time she's been sort of invited quietly to sort of shut up and go away, she's she's doubled down and said, "No, I really don't like this." Into the point where she's taken him to court. Yeah, so he can't cite some cultural differences because she's Spanish as well. And it's, it's ridiculous. It, it was also just amazingly tinny on his part if he had just said it, at yeah, the he's very got no, the man's got no dignity at all. I'm an idiot. I got overexcited.
1: Yes, he of course yeah. I shouldn't have done it.
3: Yes, she'd have said that no, I really didn't like it. But he's yes. apologized. We've all yes. done daft things. Yeah, fine. But the, the, if you, the crotch grab, which yeah. Alice alluded to, I think uh, suggests that the kind of man he actually is yeah. and why he didn't apologise yeah. and why that kiss is actually quite sinister. Because who does that? The, the kiss in itself, as you know, yes, could be excusable had the apology been forthcoming... Yeah. But the crotch grab, that's just weird. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. normal people don't do no. that sort of thing. Well, they
2: don't do it in public. And the other no, one, they don't do it in I thought no. the kiss, it's the way that he holds her head. It's yeah, a real, yeah, yeah. he's grabbing yeah. her and she can't let go. That's exactly I think right. it was just a kiss without that. But the yeah. idea that you pull someone towards you and force them into it. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't look good, does
3: it? And it's not, and it's patronising to the Spanish. Yeah, it's actually, never
2: happened to me in Spain.
3: I no, and to Latin people generally to <laughs> say yes, that. Exactly. To say just that just oh, oh,
1: you just don't understand? Yeah, because everyone. It, yes,
3: it's a very dangerous door to open. That, yeah. talking about you know, kind of massive national stereotypes like that. Yeah,
1: and it just goes to show that actually, he still doesn't really understand that it wasn't on. No, that's correct. The, uh, yeah, the thing. Right, we're off to Dorset now, where the Tank Museum has become more popular than the Louvre and the British Museum on YouTube. It's had over 100 million views, which is a world first for a museum. So let's take a listen to one of its famous tank chats, talking about the German
6: Tiger II. With the Tiger II, what we're looking at here is a vehicle that's done with a desire from Hitler. His desire in early 1943 is to see the massive L71 Rheinmetall gun Put onto a tank. Yeah.
1: So we can now go live to David Willey, curator of the Tank Museum. Good morning, David. Good morning. Are you surprised by the huge popularity of the Tank Museum on YouTube?
6: No, because we're so good at it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm. <laughs> sorry, I, it's a bit of a joke, but um, no. From our point of view, obviously, it's it's been a a longish journey. So this hasn't happened overnight. We we started quite early on and putting things on youtube we've got better at it we've learnt lots of different lessons you have to follow the different formats you have to pick up all sorts of different things that youtube are changing the metrics or doing different things and everything but uh, it, it it's it's what is surprising i guess is that there's not other subject areas out there that are quite matching us and you thought there would be um what is it
1: about Tanks and the military, because look at your some of your uh, your most popular videos two point seven million views. Lots of them have got two and a half million, two million. Um, what is it about your tanks and your chatting about them that makes them so popular? Um, I, th-
6: I think we we are talking recently. We've been doing a fair bit on things like what's going on in the Ukraine, is yeah. the tank dead? All those sorts of stories. So we try to keep some of that topical. But I think in the longer run. There's a a sort of desire for one of the words used sometimes, authenticity. They there's a lot on YouTube and out there, of course, which is fast in your face, very ephemeral. If you look at some of our films we've done, they're quite, and I use this word, boring. They're for the nerds. <laughs> who go into a lot of, yeah, you know a lot of detail. There for uh, uh, we know the audience we're aiming at. It's boring middle-aged blokes like myself. And
3: and if you don't want <laughs> me
6: saying so, Robert.
3: Yeah, I'm, respons- <laughs> I'm responsible for some of those uh, hundred million views. I think the film, the Fury film, Brad Pitt might have had an influence as well. Uh, did they, there, yeah, was a, there, was, there was a tiger in that. Is that? Have you got the, there's isn't the last surviving tiger at your? Is that the one at your museum? Did you wheel that yeah, out for yeah.
6: that film? We did, and, yeah, and uh, so. it, the, the, the hero tank in it, Fury, with the Fury written on the barrel, is our yeah. Sherman, so we've still got that in the, in the collection here. Yeah. But it was that idea that you can go a bit more deeper, you can go on longer. Early days, I always remember we were being told, you know, two minutes, that was it, everyone's bored to tears after two minutes. But we've that's... got videos on there over yeah. an hour.
3: Yeah. But it's not true. I mean, look like at TED Talks online. Yeah, I mean, they, you know. Well, I
1: think that's because I because uh, originally, Alice, when people were talking about, you know, you were watching it on your phone, people thought nothing more than two minutes. But actually, now with you know, and also cause you can get YouTube on your tablet. You want and your the podcast
2: that lasts. And actually, my so my husband does uh, watch Tank, yeah, YouTube, good and lad. we have actually been past the museum, and he has been to the museum with two of our children. Yeah, the other but two you, have rebelled you like excused me. Excused yourself. Yeah, I'm no. not. <laughs> I am not as big into tanks, but he has read books like Panzer Commander books. I mean, he yeah. he is obsessed, and I think it's a it's good also, hobby. It's quite an innocent hobby, I would I mean, say.
3: Also, I mean, it's pretty important. I mean, the T-34, the Russian tank, pretty much won the Second World War. So, do you know yeah, It what keeps I mean? Robert it's, entertained for hours. It's, it's kind of keeps him off the streets. Yeah, David, what's exactly. your favourite tank?
6: Uh, I, I'm often asked that, and I always love dodging that one, because, for me, it's not just the tanks. It's the stories behind them, the people that serve in them, etc. So, we get this all the time. It's kind of, you know, what's... You know, Top one, if you had to do top five, what's the best one? Is it the one with the biggest gun, the thickest armor, whatever? All tosh, of course, because the best tank, as we're seeing in the Ukraine at the moment, is the one with the best crew in it, mm. and that's one of those things. So for me, it's also passing on the stories of we've been very lucky at the place we meet veterans. We've recorded people over time, so it's all those other elements to it, and also things like you know we've met the women who made them in World War Two. That idea of if you've got someone, think of the Ukrainians again, that was Britain in 1940, 41. You know, it was women in the factories making something they thought might bring my husband, my brother, my father, my boyfriend home quicker if it's better and if it works. So there's emotional stories and real resonances, I would argue, with lots of these things. But the truth is, we're still doing it in a way, you know, it's... We're trying it in different formats. We're doing shorts. We've got other people. It's not just boring middle-aged guys like me doing it. Um, but it's working. It's, but it's, it's working. That, it's working. That's the and thing. that's the point. It, yeah, it yeah. does. You know, and you have to keep an eye on how it's doing. But it's, it's also making the effort to do it. And yeah, for us, yeah. that was a big one was in lockdown where mm. we'd already built up an audience. We tried to keep going. I was doing it from a back garden. Most people are more interested in the dog wandering around than what I was saying. <laughs> But it really helped out oh, yeah. well, the museum. Well, you
1: know, got... so. congratulations, David. It is brilliant. I suppose it's one of those things as well where uh, you wouldn't get it on BBC One on a Friday yeah. night because I think it was too niche. But yeah. actually, if you've got a global platform, then yeah. your niche can still be pretty big. David, really, really good speech. you David Willie there, curator of the Tank Museum. And if you just want more <laughs> tank content, uh, there is, in fact, an interview with David Willie about the Tank Museum uh, on the Times Radio YouTube channel. Uh, as part of our Frontline series, you can go on online and have a look at that. Anyway, well that's your
3: afternoon sorted, uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Alice, you can be excused. From... I
2: think Robert's going to go off to the museum, aren't you? You're going to try and get Yeah, out. I'm
3: going to try and get down to Dorset. <laughs> but this week, right I do it Yeah. We'll we pop in and see Alice on the way back. <laughs> yeah, she's here, she's here.
1: Yeah. you come in a tank. Devil's <laughs> beyond Dorset. <there, so> <laughs> Park it on the
2: front lawn, yeah. yeah.
1: So, Robert Crams and Alice Thompson there, and you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Box. Up next is PMQ's unpacked.
8: Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk
1: You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this.
3: PMQs unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire.
6: Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman.
1: Yes, Tim Shipman, the Sunday Times chief political commentator, is here. Hello, Matthew. You're, you you returned from your summer break. You're here for two weeks,
5: and oh, then we've got another break coming up. Well, it's not a break. There was a. It's more of a sort of punishment escapade where we go and listen to politicians. <laughs> so there was a four-week party conference recess. Yeah, and there's only really two, three, three four weeks of. Well,
1: there's nothing on next week. No, and then we've got the Lib Dem conference, which finishes on the Tuesday. Some of us may or may not be going to. That. Well, we are going because we're off to Bournemouth because the sun's going to be out. They've no, got well, a good crazy. They've got a good crazy golf course, and then the following week is the Conservative Party conference. Yes, last till Wednesday, and then the Labour Party conference but technically lasts till Wednesday. And but for Lib. the geeks, this is
5: very exciting because the order has switched. I know. for know, first time in a very long time, which is because of a booking mishap. I believe so. The uh, the 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 venue in Liverpool wasn't but available. But it is normally the case that the prime minister, who obviously has the power to sort of set the agenda a little bit more than the leader of the opposition, normally gets to go last. Yeah. And however good a conference the opposition has, that it's still sort of on the racket for the for the for the prime minister. That won't be the case this time, um, and that may sort of slightly subconsciously reinforce the idea that you know. Labour is more interesting of the yeah. two conferences. I suppose the flip side is that we'll, I assume we'll get lots of
1: government announcements at the conference, and actually the question then to Labour is like, well, what are you going to do about that? What's your plan? They're actually hiding as I mean we had John Healey on the show earlier in the week and asking him about defence, and he said the army was too small and he'd stop the cuts. So okay, how big should it be? I'm not going to get into that now. How would you pay for it? Well, this all thoughts come. Uh, and you do wonder whether that that line is going to be very hard to hold when you've got dozens, hundreds of journalists from around the world turning up and asking the question, what are you going to do and how are you going to pay for it?
5: Uh, yes, and that's the challenge for them, isn't it? Um, but equally, looking like a government in waiting can often involve looking like you're not going to tell anybody anything. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good practice for being in government as well. Uh, well, we'll see how all that pans out.
1: Lots of you saying hello on the YouTube channel. Hello from Farnham and Zoe. Oh, it's not far from me. Uh, good afternoon from the sofa. Hello from Derbyshire, Sir David. Hello from Cardiff. Hello from Norway. Uh, Phil says, I'm only here because I saw the retweet from Kate McCann. Thank you, Kate McCann, for doing that. Uh, um, yeah, lots of... Oh, somebody's in Tamworth. Now, it's interesting. The Toys have chosen a new candidate in Tamworth, haven't they? Because they had a slight problem. They had an
5: an issue, another issue with their... You know, it was one of those. Uh, Chris Pincher, who uh, was um, effectively driven out under Boris Johnson um, for allegedly misbehaving uh, in the Carlton Club in the evenings. Um, So, yes, it's going to be another by-election with what ought to be a stonking great Tory majority that won't be, because... um, uh, the incumbent has been driven out in disgrace um, and uh, this is not a government that's doing terribly well in by-elections at the best of times. Uh, so I think we can go to... be we, we go live to the House
1: of Commons now? Yeah, OK, here we go. Then this is question number one then, the last one for several weeks. Uh, this is Keir Starmer. Oh, we don't have, we don't have Keir Starmer. We don't have Keir Starmer. Sorry, we don't have Keir Starmer yet. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, Keir Starmer is wearing his um, sheaf of wheat it is uh, back British Farmers Day, uh, and he's wearing a sheaf of wheat. It doesn't They're look not like, subtle. These sheaves of wheat. It doesn't are they? look like Rishi Sunak is wearing his sheaf of wheat, oh. uh, or indeed anyone
5: on the government bench. I don't think. I wonder what the North Yorkshire farmers would make of that. To be honest, if Rishi Sunak wore a sheaf of wheat the same size as Keir Starmer's, it would probably right, knock him over. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be leaning to the side at least.
1: No, I'm just looking on the toy benches, there's Swanner well. Barthman's there on the front bench. Home she's not got one. Alastair Jack's not got one. Alex Chalk's not got one. Oh, it's going to be a fun game, isn't it? Do join us on the Times Radio YouTube channel. Who's wearing a sheaf of wheat? Let's go live to the House of Commons. It's Kia Starmour.
4: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his words about the Clerk of the House? Mr Speaker, I pay tribute to the police who tracked down the escaped terror suspect from Wandsworth Prison last week. Despite being charged with terrorism, and despite being a flight risk, he was not held in a Category A prison. Why not?
6: Mr
8: Speaker, I'd like to thank the police and their partners for their efforts to find and arrest Daniel Kalief. There is now an ongoing legal process that must be allowed to take its course. But I'd like to reassure the public that while these cases are extremely rare, the Justice Secretary has launched an internal investigation about how this could happen, as well as an independent investigation of the incident, so that we can learn the lessons from this case and make sure that it never happens again.
6: Yes.
1: An interesting decision to go on this, given it is now very much a
5: live criminal case, as Rishi sudak uh, pointed out right? yes out. and Starmer has some experience of understanding uh, the perils have of so. the uh, uh, a former director criminal of public trials. prosecutions um, yes but one wonders now then if there's going to be a bit of a sort of um, security theme are we going to hear about spies as well as the as the day goes on uh, terror suspects um, uh, ben Wallace was um, uh, the former defence secretary. Um, in the uh, on the front page of I think the Telegraph this morning, wasn't he saying? Yeah. Um, you know, the European Convention on Human Rights is stopping us tackling terrorists. Um, I don't know if that's got anything to do with this. I suspect it probably hasn't. It's probably more cock up. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, also, it also depends. I mean, I
1: wouldn't have said there's a huge political uh, advantage from, from, you know, rightly or wrongly, because it does sound like it's a nightmare in prisons. But uh, the general public normally don't mind what's going on in prisons. But whether or not he can wrap this into a broader argument about nothing working.
5: Well, I suspect it will be that. And just the government kind of just cock up after cock up. I suspect, is is where we'll be going. That's 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 the
1: title of the podcast, sort of. For those who were with us uh, (laughs) last week,
5: um, uh, whoever is holding uh, Suella Braverman's string is again nodding her head most vigorously.
1: Yes, so somebody pointed out that it looks like uh, someone pulls a string at random points, which makes uh, Mm. Suella Braverman nod, sort of basically unrelated to what's being said. Uh, Well, let's go back uh, to the House of Commons then. Is Keir Starmer going to stick with prisons, or will he go elsewhere? It's question number two. The truth is
4: they're presiding over mayhem in the criminal justice system. Only a few short months ago, Zara Alina's family said ministers had, and this is their words, blood on their hands after probation failures that led to her murder. So it beggars belief that we're back here once again. The Chief Inspector of Prisons said conditions in Wandsworth are so bad it should be shut down. The Chancellor is telling anyone who will listen that he raised concerns months ago. Probation, school buildings, now prisons. Why does the Prime Minister keep ignoring the warnings until it's too late? Yes. Prime
0: Minister.
8: Mr. Mr Speaker, the honourable gentleman with his background should know better that it, because of the... Because of the uh, because of the wide variety because of the the wide variety and considerable difference in severity of, of people charged under that Act it is not and has never been the policy that they are all held in Category A prisons something that I shouldn't need me to point out to him given his experience but he talked about resourcing I am happy to tell him that over the last few years, we have delivered an extra 4,000 new prison officers. Staffing levels at Wandsworth in particular are up by 25% in the past six years and because we're boosting prison pay we're also improving retention and at the same time investing a hundred million pounds to improve prison security with new measures like x-ray body scanners but if he wanted to have a truly honest debate about this perhaps he'd acknowledge that prison escapes under the labor government were almost 10 times higher than under the
0: Conservatives. right
5: so I'll see your politics, and I'll give you some facts.
1: Uh, I'll give you yeah. So, uh, uh, so Keir Starmer sort of hinting at that. He talked about probation and then school buildings, and now he's onto prisons and the the general sense that people who've warned these services are struggling. They need more money, and that, which Richie soon out when he was chancellor didn't give them more money. And now we are seeing the consequences of that.
5: He also claimed Jeremy Hunt had said they need more money. Jeremy Hunt looked slightly perplexed by that. He was shaking his head and going, what are you on about? I thought
1: Jeremy Hunt did say that he'd raised concerns about Wandsworth. I think he said he had um, a a constituent. He said he raised the alarm over extremely worrying conditions and staff problems at Wandsworth months before... uh, That's what that will be about. Yeah. He passed a detailed set of allegations about the state of the prison uh, and Lax standard stuff to Wandsworth governor. Uh, after failing to get a reply, uh, the allegations made by a constituent, I was on remand there for eight months, after failing to get a reply uh, to, to his submission, he escalated it to the, the then prison's minister, Damien Hines, uh, and the prison service headquarters in June, but only finally received a response last month. Uh, So I think that came out a couple of days ago.
5: I think the other significant thing here, though, is that Starmer's now trying to run an argument against Sunak, that he gets all these warnings and he takes an age to do anything. So um, Starmer's done quite well at saying Sunak's out of touch and doesn't do the right things. He's now trying to run an argument that... um, because he's so in the weeds and studies everything for inordinate lengths of time, that um, he doesn't act on it. And I think there was a report in one of the papers this morning that, that on the alleged spy in Parliament, that Sunak was told about that back in the spring and then continued to do his kind of rapprochement stuff with China. So I wonder whether we're going to hear about yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that sometime There's soon. also
1: the, the, the argument that Sunak tries to mount in response is everything is totally fine uh, and has been and is better than it was under Labour... And that is, but that's also why we're spending more money on stepping up security.
5: Yes, it's sort of security so good that it requires another 100 million pounds and another 4,000 prison officers. Yeah. Um, Which, again, is quite a hard sell. I mean, you look. Know, if we're having an honest debate about politics, you could say if Labour get in um, next time, a year into a Labour government, lots of people are going to discover that it wasn't just the wicked Tories. Yeah. A lot of this is quite complicated. There isn't much money and you do have to make choices and priorities. But right now, this is a political game. Um, and for the most part, there's quite a lot for Starmer to go at. Though I thought Sunak probably you know, that was a pretty robust response. Um, and, the you know, the line about um, escapes being 10 times higher was very well received by the people behind him. So, um, you know, he's holding his some own... Some decent research has uh, been done by but, number 10. But well, as ever, you know, in six questions, you know, uh, it's quite easy for the leader of the opposition to slot a couple into
1: yeah, the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to try out some of the arguments, I suspect we will hear a lot of, uh, at those party conferences. Let's go back to the House of Commons now, though. This is question number three from Keir Starmer. Oh, 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 oh. Oh,
0: no, I know, it's not. Lindsay Hoyle.
5: Week, And it will continue this week.
6: Who wants to start this session by leaving? Please do so. I'm happy to help you on your way. Keir Starmer.
1: Big sheep of
6: wheat week,
4: on Whatever the topic, Lindsay he Hoyle. paints this picture as if everything is great and yeah. fine out there. It's so at odds yeah. with the lived experience Done in the one. real world. Let me turn to another serious security concern. Some in this House face sanction, intimidation and threats from the Chinese state. When I asked the Prime Minister on Monday whether the Foreign Secretary raised the specific issue of the alleged spy arrested in March when he visited China a few weeks ago, the Prime Minister would only say that he raised that type of activity, but avoided specifics. So I asked the Prime Minister again, did the Foreign Secretary raise this specific case when he visited China, yes or no? Mr Mr. Speaker, I'll refer to my
8: previous answer, where I've said very clearly that the the Foreign Secretary raised these issues with the the Chinese Foreign Minister who he met, as did I when I had my meeting with Premier Li over the weekend. But when it comes to China, Mr Speaker, this government has put in place the most robust policy that has existed ever in our country's foreign policy. It is to protect our country, to protect our country for the values and interests that we stand up for. It is to align our approach with our closest allies, including those in the G7 and the Five Five, and is to engage where it makes sense, either to advance our interests or, as I did at the weekend, to raise our very significant concerns. That is the right approach to China. It is one that is welcomed by each and every single one of our allies, and I'd be interested to know... What what he thinks that he would do
5: differently.
1: Uh, so moving on to <laughs> moving on to China. I mean, again, not saying the most robust policy that's ever
5: existed. Um, um, look, is it robust in the sense that they've thought about it and calibrated the position and written it down? Yes. Is it robust in terms of being tough? I don't think it's as tough as Liz Truss was running when she was, uh, however briefly, our Prime Minister, or even the bog end of the Boris Johnson regime. Um, And the Conservative Party has veered between the sort of George Osborne approach of we need to be friends and make lots of money doing business with them and a more sort of uh, pious view about human rights and all the rest of it. Um, But the problem you've got here is that, um, you know, if, if this chap has done what he is thought to have done, then, you know, that heats at the very heart of the sort of democratic process. Um, yeah. And that is kind of a big deal. And Sunak's quite good at sort of saying it's more important to sort of, uh, you know. And saying it's the most robust thing ever, you know. I mean, I remember... I mean, given that ministers openly on
1: the, on the radio often can't explain, is China a threat? Is it a challenge? They get in a muddle. I think Alex Chort, the Justice Secretary, did it the weekend. Yeah. They're actually, you know, and it is nuanced. They and basically
5: say it's, you know, they are a commercial rival and a um, and a security threat, but they're not an enemy in the way that Russia behaves. Russia, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, right. and that's the distinction they try to run. And the bottom line is, the Russian economy is about the size of, you know, uh, the economy of London. Um, and China that, is yes. And China is many times the size of ours. You know, if yeah. you know. Uh, well it's not many times it starts but it is bigger than ours and it's getting bigger and you know people talk about the Chinese century not having a view about China is not an option whereas with Russia you can sort of cauterise it and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and see them as a sort of largely negative and force be co- and be
1: confident with
5: the exception obviously with North Korea today most of the countries are going to follow suit on that yeah I um, mean I, I did enjoy that though I mean the <laughs> idea of Putin drawing on you know Kim as a sort of character witness I, I found deeply amusing I'm <laughs> not sure there's are necessarily uh, plays around the world um, we are going to deduct
1: points from Keir Starmer because he has used the phrase lived experience again. Again. He yeah. did it last week. I just do not think the Prime Minister gets how it's all fine out there. Is at odds with the lived experience of millions of people? June the 21st, I'm sure that from the vantage point of his helicopter, everything might look fine, but that is not the lived experience of those on the ground. I mean,
5: it's, you know, it is a... It's a phrase that tells us something important, um, but it... Uh, You know, one would have thought Starmer's aides would have found a a more uh, sort of straightforward way of saying that. It's not how people talk in the dog and duck.
1: No, it's how people talk on Twitter about identifying as a vegan. Uh, Right, let's go back to the House of Commons now. This is question number four from Keir Starmer.
4: Well, that certainly wasn't a yes. (laughs) And what he says now is totally at odds with the Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee report of July this year. That set out that the government has no clear strategy when it comes to China, has failed to support the intelligence agencies, and is leaving the UK severely handicapped in managing our future security. This has been raised time and time again. But yet again, the Prime Minister fails to heed the warnings and is now desperately playing catch-up. So will he finally commit to the full audit of UK-China relations which so many in this House have so long demanded.
7: Well,
8: Mr Speaker, as always, the Leader of the Opposition is just playing catch-up and hasn't caught up with the reality of what's actually happening. He talks about the ISC report. Again, if he actually went through it, he would realise that it related to a period of investigations which was in 2019 and 2020. Since then, Mr Speaker, we have launched a whole new integrated review refresh of our China strategy. It's published. We've put in place a range of new measures, including, for example, the National Security Protective Agency, which is, supporting, which is staffed out of MI5, supporting businesses and organisations and being alert to the risk from cyber and, and from China. But if he wants to talk about foreign policy, Mr Speaker, he should perhaps reflect on his own record, because this was the man who said he was 100% behind the former Labour leader, a person who wanted to abolish the army, scrap Trident Jeremy, and withdraw from NATO. Here. It's clear what he did. He put his own political interests ahead of Britain's.
1: I'll get a little ring at the bell there for
5: Jeremy Corbyn uh, throwback. True, but on this subject, I think he's got a point. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, you know, on two things, people who like Keir Starmer, uh, but remember those times are prepared to be quite critical of him one that he didn't do nearly enough um on anti-semitism when jeremy corbyn mm-hmm. was allowing that to run uh, uh, through the labor party and the second is that you know corbyn is the most out there leader that we've had in pushing a century in terms of foreign policy he fundamentally um you know sided with a lot of uh, overseas nations against his own Um, and Starmer again you know was happy to prop him up so on this I think it's more legitimate than on a lot of the stuff that uh, where the Tories throw that at them but that was all quite substantive wasn't it Um, quite how sexy it is for the public I mean you know the previous answer Sunak was talking about you know this robust policy well now you know it's the integrated review refresh refresh which is what I was referring to I should have spelt that out as well but it took you know, there's not people sitting around going, "Well, it's wonderful that you've got this." But then uh, it's
1: interesting. Lee, the case um, I'm talking about, and I know he's asked about this before a few months ago, a full audit of UK-China relations, and you know. Whether it is uh, people who are working in Parliament, whether it's, you know, we were talking on this sh- about this on the show earlier, universities and the way that they're entangled in both the number of Chinese students and the fact that universities rely on them for money, but also research as
5: well. Well, and uh, the other question is that uh, British um, you know, public schools, which... Uh, If they do lose their charitable status under Labour, it would probably be only Russians and Chinese that can afford to go to them. And then you (laughs) end up uh, even more entangled
1: and then you say, well, we can't do anything because of the economic um, dependency.
5: I mean, a cynic would say that, you know, a full audit is a a very good way of not bothering to have a policy for two years while you allow the audit to to unfold. Um, You know, these are complicated questions that do not lend themselves to... uh, uh, you know, punchy questions and glib answers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, well, I would be the... interested to know what Labour's policy is on China, and I'll be honest, I'm none the wiser as a result a, of these it's exchanges. A full, it's a
1: full audit in addition to the integrated review refresh. Come on, Tim, pay attention. Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons now. This is uh, case number, question number five.
4: Probation, prison, schools, China, yet again inaction, man, fails to heed the warning and then blames everyone else for the consequences. Mr Speaker, on Sunday, the Home Secretary celebrated her first anniversary in post. That is, if you overlook the sixth day she missed, when she was deemed a national security risk. In that year, 40,000 people have crossed the Channel on a small boat. And the taxpayer is now spending £6 million a day on hotel bills. He's failing to stop terrorists strolling out of prison... Failing to guard Britain against hostile actors, he's completely failing to stop the boats. How can anyone trust him to protect the country? Well Mr Mr Speaker, he
8: he talks about trust, he talks about action. Just today. This government is taking action to reform defective EU laws to unlock over a hundred thousand homes. Boosting our economy, supporting jobs, and ensuring that we can realise the aspirations of homeowners. Now, he tried, he talks about trust, he tried in this House to talk the talk on house building. But at the first sign of a cheap political hit, what did he do? He's caved in, Mr Speaker. (laughs) Rather than make the right long-term decisions for the country, he's taken the easy way out. It is typical of the principles-free, conviction-free type of leadership that he offers. Flip-flopping from being a builder to a blocker. Mr Speaker, the British public can't trust a word he says.
3: Yeah! Wow.
1: So, uh, right, so Keir's time trying to tie it all together. On probation, prisons, schools, China. How can anyone trust them? trust him to protect the country. And I suspect this is born out of, and we've heard it a little bit in some of the focus groups as well, that one of the strengths of Rishi Sunak does have is, with some voters at least, or a bit of purchase, this sort of boring technocrat... Yeah possibly doing the right thing because he could be off earning money elsewhere if he didn't, you know, if he wasn't doing this.
5: Yeah, and this is going to be his big argument at the general election, that, you know, I'm, I'm making decisions for the long term, even if I don't benefit from them politically, I'm doing the right thing for the country. That's going to be his big argument. Um, the flip side of that is that it takes him a long time to do things mm. um, and they don't always bear immediate fruit and I thought, inaction man... Inaction man's that, quite good well it got a laugh and a sort of nervous tittery quite quite a sort of oh that's good there was a sort of I'd be very surprised if we don't hear quite a lot of quite that a now. lot of inaction, action. Yeah. Oh,
1: god! It's going to be the thing they all repeat at party conferences, isn't it? Yeah, like it's the first time every single
5: time. T- every single speech will have a shadow minister like explaining few, why he's few years failed. Because well. he mentioned
1: Jeremy Corbyn earlier. There was a year when every single Tory minister said mentioned Venezuela, he's made yes. a joke about and being Caracas, and there was quite a lot of hoops that you had to jump through to get from Jeremy Corbyn to Caracas. But anyway, uh, and
5: then Sunak's response, yes. which was he didn't even bother to you know he no. didn't no. particular of answering that question he, he, he hit him with this stuff which we talked about a couple of weeks ago about nutrient um, neutrality nutrient neutrality, and how that makes it very very difficult to, to build homes and the government's changed on it you know and soon right Starmer did bring this up quite a lot you know we had two or three sessions on housing didn't we um, and you know that will be their argument you know you give them a chance to uh, support something sensible and, and they don't do it um, you know the, the, the response to that would be, well, we're the opposition, um, you know, we're not here to make your life easy. Um, and actually, it, it's long been one of those things, that you, you get the sense that the government
1: doesn't seem sufficiently gripped by the salience of the rivers issue. Mm. The, the, the Lib- you know, all the Lib Dems seem to talk about is sewage and rivers, because it and clearly has well, I've got has a, a friend purchase. on a
5: WhatsApp group, uh, um, who you know well, who never shuts up about it. <laughs> it's poop in the rivers, poop in the seas... It's it's like the centre of his life. Well, because it's because it's really easy to understand. Yes, it is. Uh, it's dirty, you know. It's 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 a powerful image. Uh, quite. And, and if you and want to say the country's gone to shit, well, there uh, it is. There we go. And it's so the idea, the, idea the, 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 the idea that government,
1: the idea that should thinks the right policy to pursue right now is one that leads to more stuff ending up in rivers whatever the argument's in favour of
5: house-building, that's a hard sell. It's a hard sell, but it's also a, it's one of those decisions that, you know, if you're serious about trying to get things done, um, maybe there's an argument for it. Yeah. And this is politics. It's all about trade-offs. And what it is then about, if you're the person making those decisions, is explaining them clearly, rather than using them as a punchline in PMQs, where most people listening, who aren't having the benefit of pausing and... Uh, yeah. having, you know, listening to us two. Uh, who has a clue what he's talking about? They're just, they're just sitting there thinking, well, he's not answering the question. I mean, the point he's making is sort of interesting and legitimate. Um, yeah. But it's not very good politics the way, you know, I mean, he could have been a little bit more explicit about it.
1: Well, let's go back and find out. So we've had in action man. We've, we're yet to have a captain I mean, does hindsight. He, does he have a better line than in action man? Well, let's find out. Let's go back to the House of Commons. This is question number six from Keir Starmer. Mr. Speaker, every week he comes here protesting that nothing's his
4: fault, trying to convince anyone who's still listening that everything is great. The truth is, the floor fell in for millions of families because of their economic mayhem. The classroom ceiling's collapsed because he cut vital school budgets. And now the walls of our national security have been breached because they've ignored repeated warnings. No one voted for these shambles. Yeah. No one voted for him. Yeah. So, how much more damage do the British public have to put up with before he finally finds the stomach to give them a say? Mr. Speaker, we are getting on for the
8: British public just in the last week announcing a new landmark deal for British scientists. Yeah. Attracting £600 million of new investment for our world leading auto industry and wages now rising at the fastest rate on record, Mr. Speaker. And where has he been this week? Locked away with Labour's union paymasters, promising to give them more power and scrap the laws that protect British families and their access to public services. It's clear it's only the Conservatives that are on the side of the hard working British public.
5: Oh, no Captain Hindsight. No, there was quite a bit of, I mean... Knockabout. Knockabout. Now, bit of, you know, there was a phrase that... I did uh, find myself switching. Slightly to switching
1: off. Into, well, I was about to say, Keir Stommer used the phrase, anyone's still listening. Yeah. And we'll, well, we're here. We're, we're, we're here, We are, we are don't worry, we? we're here still. But still listening to Rishi Sunak. And that's definitely something that's come up in some of the polling and some of the focus groups that we've done. Is that there was a poll this week in the Times that you yeah. go saying that more than half of voters would never consider voting Conservative? Yeah. That there's a risk that it doesn't matter how much Rishi that goes on about boasting that he's rejoined Horizon that we only left because of the Brexit that he advocated. Um, people aren't listening anymore, and that is a real concern in Number Ten. Totally, that the cur- you know the shutters have come down. Well, they're not really listening to Keir Starmer either. I think it has to be said. But I th-
5: you know, I mean, look. Politics is very changeable. Anyone who's covered the last seven, six seven years of British politics knows that what seems to be the case now may not be the case in six months' time. Yeah, um, you know, uh, I've spoken to Tories who say, "Well, you know, the kind of stuff that Joe Biden was talking about before the last presidential election, by the time he got to the election, it all completely disappeared." But it does. I, you know, those of us that have been around a little while, and you kind of. I think you get a feel for things. And it felt like, you know, the bog end of Boris Johnson and the Trust episode was a total disaster for the Conservatives and put a lot of people off completely the end. People then wanted to listen to Rishi Sunak. They thought, he looks like a serious bloke. Um, he's getting his head down. He's, doing, he's grinding away. We'll see whether he's making a success of it. Um, and to a degree, he hopes to be judged ultimately by whether he... Can tick the boxes that he claimed he was going to tick and those are still very much a work in progress and but there's a slight sense that in the kind of middle of this year that people began to take the view that he wasn't really cutting through he wasn't terribly exciting that the the, the guy you know it's all very well being a boring technocrat but if you're not getting the job done and everything still seems to be rubbish and there's just a sort of sense that the worm has turned yeah you know, the the desire for change, you know, you talk to Tories, they acknowledge that. The only way they can sort of say that they might have a chance is by saying they'll make him the change yeah. and he he's going to stand up, we're told, at conference and make a whole series of promises about how he will, you know, he will be different from other politicians and, you know, that's part of the argument we've been talking about, that, you know, he'll do everything for the long term, He's not he's not in it for himself, blah, 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 blah. But it's a heck of a thing to take a change agenda after, you know, 13 13 years years from an opposition which is riding high. And, you know, the interesting thing about Starmer, which I'm planning to explore in a piece quite soon, is that, you know, this is a guy who hated politics. He didn't really really like it. found it all quite trivial. He's got quite good at it. Now, it's not all his own doing. He's hired some good people. But that's that's the 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 main skill of being a leader is is having some good people around you. So, you know... It feels a bit like um, uh, Sunak is really pushing water uphill right now. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's been watching us eat a little bit of toberone. Beautiful British product. <laughs> well done, the British farmers. Well, there's the British farmers of, of Switzerland. I'm happy to staple that to my shirt,
1: if you like. It was delicious. Mm. Yeah, Alice Thompson bought it in earlier because she, she went on holiday. She bought us a big toberone. So, we are. Lovely. That's the sort of content you're missing if you're not watching along on the YouTube channel. Uh, Lara Spirits here.
9: Hello.
1: Webbox editor, uh, you've been watching the best of the rest so that we don't have to. Overall, the mood?
9: um MPs are pretty lively, I would say, yeah. but very surprising, I think, to see it really dominated by the pensions triple lock. A number of questions to this effect from a number of people who thought it was in their interest to ask it, and I'm not necessarily sure that it was. Um, but I'll fly to one first, which is, as I always do, Stephen Flynn. Yes! <laughs> Um but Get Lara, in. we'll listen to both <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. That's such a new enthusiasm. Um this is him asking about the state pension. It's very interesting. He focuses both of his questions on it and I think Given the news today, it's worth listening uh, with a keen ear. Well, because we, uh,
1: anyone uh, who wants the state pension triple lock to continue will be hoping that the prime minister is going to con- commit to it in full.
9: Yeah, and no, he's not. He's going to commit to not tinkering with it, as the times reported this morning by an estimated six hundred million potentially. So have a look to see if United like, makes that uh, sterling commitment here. Yeah.
7: Yeah. Mr. Speaker, as someone who spends more money heating their swimming pool and the total value of the UK state pension. I think it is safe to say that the Prime Minister might not be as invested in this topic as some others, but let us afford him the opportunity to clear up any confusion. Will he commit his party, the Conservative Party, to maintaining the state pension triple lock beyond the next general election? Yes or no?
4: Prime Minister.
8: Mr. Mr Speaker, this is
7: the party that introduced the triple lock, Mr
8: Speaker. This is the party that has delivered a £3,000 increase in the state pension since 2010. It is also the parties that ensure that there are 200,000 fewer pensioners living in poverty today and, this winter, ensuring that pensioners get an extra £300 alongside their winter fuel payment to support them through the challenging times with inflation. So, Mr Speaker, our track record is clear. There is one party in this House that has always stood up for our pensioners, and that is the Conservative Party.
1: Well, let's have a listen, because I think Stephen Flynn, did he have another go on this? He has another go on this, yeah. Well, let's have a listen, see if he has any more... Notable, notable. He didn't fully commit, what you've seen out there. So let's have a... Listen to Stephen Flynn having another go.
7: ...had a yes there. And you'll imagine my shock, my utter surprise, that we appear to have consensus once again between the Conservative Party and the Labour Party on this most important of issues, despite the promises that were made to the people of Scotland in 2014, and despite the clear statements from the likes of Gordon Brown that the only way to protect your pension is to remain within the UK. How hollow those words are now. So, May I ask the Prime Minister who does he think will scrap the state pension triple lock first, his government or the Labour Party's government?
8: Our Prime Mr. Minister. Mr Speaker, I so said thanks to the actions of this government, pensioners in Scotland are receiving record increases in their state pension, eight hundred and seventy pounds this year. Extra support with the cost of living this winter this is the government that introduced and remains committed to the triple lock but he does raise a good point mr speaker pensioners in scotland should know the reason they can rely on the state pension not just today but for years to come because of the strength of our union and the strength of our united kingdom government
5: very notable lack of full throated yeah, we sit here listening to what people say um, quite often it's much more important what they don't say and it would be very strange if he committed to it, because we don't know how, how much money there's going to be. Um and it costs an absolute blooming fortune. And And is this a slight exercise in kite flying, do you think? Oh of of just keep letting
1: it get out that you might not do it and just gauge the reaction. If there's a huge sort of Theresa May social care style backlash on the doorsteps, then you might step back from it. Uh, if yeah, actually, and you say you were always
5: committed to it. You were always committed to it. Really? But and then you get you could... a win for doing, this, yeah. doing what you were always doing. Yeah. Yeah.
9: yeah, and I think there are two separate issues here because there's the issue about what happens in response to the news about wage growth yesterday and what to do in the immediate term about the fact that they might not want to raise the state pension by as much as mm. would be expected. And then there's the issue about whether or not you recommit to it in a manifesto, right? And those are two things that I think are being kind of willfully lumped together to create a sense of ambiguity. It was interesting listening to Finn there because, of course, he uh, singled out Labour as well on this. And I think given recent polling showing that Labour's making a really significant, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, comeback north of the border, it's unsurprising that he keeps going on this. And this is something we're seeing more and more in PMQs that he wants to paint the Conservative Party with the same brush as the Labour Party because both he sees as a threat to them.
1: And actually, yeah, using, using his two questions to sort of lump them together and attack Starmer as much as Sunak is Yeah, is no, uh, evidence of that. But that's probably quite enough, Stephen Flynn. What else have you got for us? I'm afraid
9: it's not quite enough pensions triple lock. Um, so <laughs> we're going to go now to um, Ashley Dalton, a Labour uh, MP, a pretty new Labour uh, MP, who, of course, took over from uh, Rosie Cooper. And she is making a similar point around the triple lock, which is ever so slightly confusing, given that actually, and you'll hear Rishi Sunak say this, there is some ambiguity around the Labour position on that too.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
9: Uh, I thank the Prime Minister uh, for his answer to um, my Honour- the Honourable Member for Aberdeen South, but I'm still confused on this matter uh, because just yesterday the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions said that the pensions uh, triple lock is not sustainable. Um, the Chancellor's economic advisers have suggested that it is time to review the policy, but number 10, when questioned, have said
0: they're committed to it. So, Mr. Speaker, which is it? <laughs> uh,
8: Mr Speaker, this, this government is committed to the triple lock. It was this government that introduced the triple lock. She might, want to, she might want to have a word with her own deputy leader, who I don't think provided much clarity on the matter. And remember, Mr Speaker, I think we all remember when it came to pensions, what we can remember is Gordon Brown's 75p a week
4: increase.
5: Oh, that's one of the archives... <laughs> Tim, when was that? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, well it was a uh, while ago. While ago. Uh, I remember the Daily Mail put a picture of a packet of peanuts four? on their front page, which is cost seventy five P.
1: That and, and that was sort of why the Tory party um no, uh, 1999
5: And at the risk of trivialising. Yeah. Um, the people with the string on Suella Braverman's yeah. head are now pulling it side to side, and oh, she's, she's, shaking head, she's shaking her head She's shaking at uh, the, the appalling behaviour of Gordon Brown.
1: Whereas Mel Stride, the working pension secretary, who's been talking about the pension triple lock, uh, is trying to look incredibly serious while wearing an enormous sheaf of wheat <laughs> on, his, uh, on his jacket. Um, interesting that that question coming from a Labour MP, given that the Labour Party is very reluctant to commit to this either.
9: Yeah, and this is likely, if the polls are to be believed, to actually be more of a problem for the Labour Party than it would for others. I saw a former cabinet minister earlier who just said, I don't know why we don't just commit to it outright because they think they're going to, win, they're going to lose the election and just obviously create a very big early headache for the Labour Party in doing so. So I'm not sure that was a massively well-advised question, though uh, maybe she knows something that we don't. i suspect- well,
5: and frankly, there are more Tory votes, you know. Traditionally speaking, uh, pensioners vote Conservative and it's more important for the Tory party to shore that up ahead of an election um, whereas Labour doesn't get nearly so many pensioners so they can afford to sort of say to everybody else why should we give all this money to pensioners? Well, where are we going next?
9: We're going away from the state pension you might be pleased to hear and towards Luton Airport
5: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anyone's ever happy to go towards Luton Airport. Well,
9: increasing numbers probably will be, according to Daisy Cooper, uh, who asked this question about the expansion of Luton, which you might think sounds boring, uh, but actually... No, I think don't
1: it's... introduce it like that. You've got to say it's really exciting. It's Daisy Cooper, who's the deputy leader of the Lib Dems, talking about Luton Airport.
9: She's talking about it and she <laughs> is... Uh, giving Rishi Sunak an opportunity to clarify his position on net zero. So take a listen
2: to this. Great. Uh, Luton Airport is trying to massively expand its airport capacity from 18 million passengers per year to a whopping 32 million passengers per year. This will blight the lives of thousands of residents across Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire, and especially in North and Albans who live under the flight path. But it will also fly in the face of the advice from the government's own climate advisers. It's been reported that the Prime Minister is getting ready to ignore his climate advisers.
4: Is them, that no. true?
8: No, Prime no, no, Mr. Speaker, but what I would say is my approach to getting to net zero is not one that requires people to give up doing the things that they want to do and enjoy, like flying. The right thing to be doing is, as we are, investing in new technologies and funding them, things like sustainable aviation fuel, because that's how we'll decarbonise aviation on the transition to net zero, not force people to give everything up.
5: She didn't talk about blighting the lives of the 32 million people who are going to have to travel to Luton Airport. (laughs) year. Get on that infernal shuttle bus. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been to oh, Luton it's Airport. it's so awful.
1: Campari, that's what I was thinking of. There's, a, there's another cultural reference for you, you have to get, uh, Laura. This was uh, a TV <laughs> ad starring Lorraine Chase, where she said something about Luton
5: Airport. Yeah, well, there's an episode of One Foot in the Grave called In Luton Airport, No One Can Hear You Scream as yes. well. Yes,
1: there we are. Um, Daisy Cooper wearing an enormous three-pronged chief Do of Do we wheat. think
9: it's bigger than everybody else's...
1: Are they free to fashion their own sheafs or... Well because um Jim Shannon was sitting behind her uh and he had his like st- stuck in his pocket was only peeking out like an, like mm. a handkerchief. That's sweet. Mm. Yeah. Um there we are. Are we all done then, Lara? Yeah i <laughs>
9: <laughs> ah, uh, I've got more for you if you want them, but no, it look, that, it really know, looks like you don't, so we'll stop. I think, there. We've
1: probably, I think you've probably peaked with uh, Luton Airport. I've got this to you. Uh well. you will be in uh, people's inboxes at 3
9: pm. 3
1: o'clock with the PMQ's unpacked email. Oh, bit of gossip for you. Can put this in your email. Thank Pat, you. there's been a ding-dong between Alan Mack and Rupert Huck uh, in the gallery. My eyes in the gallery say Rupert Huck has bought in her Sister Rupert Huck's a Labour MP. She's brought in her sister Connie Huck off of Blue Peter, of who is married to Charlie Booker, and they're all in the gallery, and Alan Mack wouldn't sit, wouldn't move along the row, and they've had a bit of a ding-dong in the gallery, apparently, uh, so that Charlie Booker could watch PMQs.
4: I wonder
9: what they made of it. That will go in the email. Thank you. Good look for what to
5: anyone that. makes of Alan Mack, God bless him. <laughs> He's a sort of low-level national treasure, isn't he, Alan Mack? In, In so many ways. So many ways.
1: Well, that's all we've got time for on today's podcast. Thanks to Tim Shipman and to Lara Spirit for PMQ's Unpacked. That'll be back in, what, five weeks' time? But don't worry, over the coming weeks we'll have plenty of coverage of the Lib Dem and Conservative and Labour Party Conference and we're going to be live at the Cheltenham Literature Festival as well. If you want to come and see us live, just go to the Cheltenham Literature Festival website, search Matt, surely, and you can come and watch us live on Friday the 13th of October. Get your tickets now. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it is goodbye.
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.